Connecticut Democrats, or Connecticrats, as they have never been called. Welcome back to episode five and week five of Connecticrats, the CT Democrats podcast. I'm your host, Michael Cerulli, the president of the College Democrats of Connecticut. And I'm Dave Kostek with the Connecticut Democratic Party. And on this week's episode, I sat down with a friend and the mayor of Middletown, Ben Florsheim. Then I talked to Senator Julie Kushner. She represents the area around Danbury, Danbury, New Fairfield, Sherman, and a part of Bethel. We talked uh, about the Eversource situation and what's coming, what might be coming up in the legislature shortly. And we also talked about John Oliver, where she was far too polite and nice, in my opinion. (laughs) And you can see why she is so absolutely reasonable and a great senator based on her answers just to that. But please uh, give a listen to that segment and uh, how things go with Ben. Things went well. We talked about some big news in his personal life that he announced this week or last week, I guess, by the time listeners listen to this. We talked about his uh, goals for Middletown and his response for COVID-19. And I think it's important for our listeners to know we did record these last week before we got the devastating news on Friday about the passing of Justice Ginsburg. So we did not discuss it with them. Um, But next week's episode with Lieutenant Governor Susan Bice, which we will certainly take a dive into the legacy life and really just the immense impact of Justice Ginsburg. Right now, though, let's hear from Middletown Mayor Ben Florsheim. Mayor Ben Florsheim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Well, normally in these interviews, we start out and we say, you know, what's going on in your job? You know, what's what's the latest on COVID-19 uh, in your constituency? But I want to start with something different because you have had a very big week this week. Tell the listeners what happened or what did you do at the beginning of this week, which is just a gigantic milestone. <laughs> well, uh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Uh, we, uh, my, my now fiance and I announced our engagement uh, earlier this week, and so we're very excited about that. It was, uh, it was, it was a, an interesting experience to to go through, especially as a as a, a relatively new uh, public official. Uh, you you are you're, you're sharing personal news now with a much wider audience than <laughs> than a lot of people are used to, and so we actually we. Um, we we got engaged for our own purposes a few months ago, and, we, and decided to take some time before we announced it publicly. We wanted to, uh, you know, cap some time to have it uh, to ourselves, and then you know, shared it with our close friends and family, and then made the announcement uh, the other day. So it's been it's been pretty exciting, and we're we're we don't know. Uh, we've given all the circumstances, and I've had lots of friends and, and colleagues who have had to unfortunately cancel or greatly modify their wedding plans because of uh, because of what's going on. So um, we're, we're not sure when the when the day will come, but uh, we'll, we'll take it as it comes. You know, and we're just right now we're just excited to be able to share the news. Well, congratulations on that. I know everyone was really excited to see that news. Uh, I saw on Twitter uh, all the uh, all the folks who are sending you congratulations. So let me add my my congratulations to that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so let, let, let's dive into it. Um, you are the mayor of Middletown. You are how old? I am 28. So not too much. Well, a bit older than I am, but you know, not 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 too much compared to some of the yeah. folks that have been on the show. Um, you ran in 2019. Uh, talk a bit about what you did before you were mayor, and then the decision to run for mayor of Middletown. So uh, before I ran, I was uh, you know I've been in, in politics and in government for my my whole career pretty much. Uh, I started out in in college Democrats uh, in in many respects. I you know I was. Uh, arrived uh, in Connecticut as a student at Wesleyan University and 
was interested in politics a little bit. I knew that I would be studying politics and government uh, at, at Wesleyan, and, uh, but I was also interested in the, in the hands-on and the practical nature of politics, and I was interested in campaigns. I had followed 2008 uh, when Obama was elected. I had followed the, the midterms, followed that, and I wanted to get involved myself. And so uh, my, my avenue for that was, um, was college Dems and Wesleyan Democrats and uh, the local town committee here in Middletown and 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 local races uh, while I was in school. That's how I, that is how I met my now fiance. Uh, and uh, she is she has taken a big step back from politics since then, and I've taken a step uh, forward into it. And uh, after college, I uh, had the opportunity to take a job with Senator Chris Murphy uh, doing community outreach here in his Connecticut office, um, which brought me, you know into contact with local elected officials basically every day. I spent a lot of time um, working with mayors around the state, with local uh, elected folks around the state at this weird kind of nexus of, you know, working on the federal side, um, but focusing a lot more on sort of state and local issues and how they relate to the federal government than, than, the, than the types of issues that, you know, get more airtime in, in Washington uh, and, and you know, in the national media. And so, uh, and so I, that was that was a big part of what drew me to local government as a as sort of my own uh, next step and my own career path that I wanted to pursue is that I was working in the Senate and I loved Chris and I loved my coworkers and I loved uh, all the opportunities that uh, came with that job and the experiences that I had there, um, but I was seeing that in a in an environment when very little was getting done in Washington, particularly in the Senate. Um, the, the, the work that was most meaningful was happening at the local level. Uh, the, the local government was the, the tool um, that you can use to, to make a big difference um, in, in your own community, in your own neighborhood, in your own backyard. And uh, that was appealing to me. And I, and I saw in, in Middletown, the city that I had you know, fallen in love with and, and, and come to uh, call my hometown, I, I saw um, a lot of potential uh, that was not being, I think, fully realized. I, I think we're in a we were in a great position financially and ec economically compared to a lot of our neighbors, um, and to and to move the city forward, frankly, on some of the progressive issues that uh, that, we, that we care about deeply in in our community. And so, um, so that was the decision to run. Uh, there was a it was an open seat with uh, Mayor Dandrew uh, retiring after eight years, um, and that's what uh, that's what I was doing beforehand, and that's what sort of led up to it. And your election was uh, unique, both in terms of your age, the time you were running in. It was it was right after the midterms. Um, was there a lot of energy behind your race? And and we talked a bit about college Dems and how, how big of a role did they play uh, in in your election campaign? Yeah, yeah, there was um, there was a lot of energy. It felt it certainly felt like a lot of energy. And I'm 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 finding myself as we go into a very different kind of campaign season right now. Uh, you know, missing the the, 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 vib the vibrating sort of intensity of a, of a campaign season because we're mm -hmm. not getting that this year in the same way. Um, but uh, at, at, you know, as, as we as we shouldn't and as we can't, given what's going on right, in, our, right. in our state. Um, but it's like there's there's as as you know as you know as enthusiastic as I am about vote by mail, for instance. There's nothing. There's no substitute. For feeling of going to the polling place on election day. Yeah. It's the same thing with all of the, <laughs> all of the, you know, it's good that we're doing texting. It's good that we're doing digital outreach, but uh, there's something different about not being able to do it all in person. Um, but I, there was a lot of energy and, 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 it, and it came from, uh, from young Dems and from college Dems and from, from a lot of people in the community who 
wanted to see progressive ideas being talked about at the local level with a little bit more intensity than they had been in the past. And my candidacy sort of came out of um, a, a group of us, you know, kind of looking from side to side at one another, trying to figure out what, what the, who, who, who would be the candidate to, to sort of move these things forward. And it really, it, it grew out of, my, my decision to run largely grew out of um, a, a movement that has been underway in Middletown um, that had been kind of looking for its candidate um, more than, you know, I, I was, I, I was, I've been ambivalent um, and still now that I've done it, remain ambivalent uh, about like whether running for office was the thing that I, that I wanted to do in politics. Um, you know, I, whether that was going to be the way that I uh, felt I could make the best, the, the best and biggest difference. And, um, and, and so there, I, I was not trying to sort of create a, a, uh, a, a, a way to get myself elected so much as there was an opportunity for a group of us to, to get some of our ideas into the conversation. And so there was some energy already built in, in the background, but I think that we also, um, we were able to engage Wesleyan and, and the high school in Middlesex uh, a little bit more because of my age and because of my, you know, background in college Dems. And uh, we had a, we had a, you know, a great, force of staff and, and volunteers who were, who were helping us out. Yeah, that was, I remember seeing, you know, my predecessor, Ron Meehan and, and all the Wesleyan Dems yep. really engage in that every single day. Um, Ron was, was a, such... a, a, a key part of that race, a hundred percent. Yeah. And he, and he's just the, the latest, I, I, I've got these big shoes to fill as president. You know, we have another great Middletown Democrat, Matt Lesser, who was the president for a while. Right. Um, so, yeah. And, and I, will, I will say, too, I, I joke with Ronald a bit, is that Wesleyan has always had an outsized impact on college Democrats. And now now UConn's taking it back. Um, but anyway, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, as I said, it's, we, it needs to rotate around. We've got to we've yeah, got to show everybody yeah. some love. Yeah. Except for those Trinity kids. They, they can't have a chance. Well, to... yeah. I mean, <laughs> within reason. Now we go over to Dave Costick in his interview with Senator Julie Kushner. We're joined by Senator Julie Kushner, who is running for re-election, first time running for re-election in uh, the state Senate district that covers Danbury, a portion of Bethel, New Fairfield, and Sherman, Connecticut. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, David. It's great to be here. So um, what what is on the mind of voters in your district as you're calling and uh, talking to voters when you meet them out in the street? Well, what's interesting for me is that I started calling the people in the district back in April, when we were hit so hard with COVID-19, the pandemic didn't know exactly what it meant for our community. And, and so I organized a group of people to do wellness calls. And we reached out to thousands of people who live in the, in the area, asking them, you know, how are you faring with this? Do you need any help? What was interesting is we found about 20% of the calls we made, somebody need help with unemployment or getting a stimulus check or food insecurity, uh, how to cover medication when they lost their health insurance because they lost their job. There were just so many needs in our community. And you know, I felt very good to be in a position where we could connect and help people. So in many ways, even though the 2020 legislative session really was not at all normal and we weren't able to get things done that we'd hoped to do, on the other hand, being the state senator put me in a position to really help individual constituents. And that was as meaningful as anything I've done. 
as we went through the summer, um, you know, the initial impact of COVID sort of declined a little bit in our state uh, through a lot of the executive action and 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 a lot of uh, compliance by people in Connecticut doing their part. Um, but Danbury did recently see a little bit of a spike. Um, what's concerning about that and what's, uh, what's your reaction? Well, first of all, when I talk to people now, uh, I do see, uh, whereas there may have been some uncertainty at the beginning, what I hear from so many of our uh, people in our community is how much they appreciate the role of Governor Lamont in really keeping our state our state safe and and you know we have conversations like you know when they when they first enacted the um, the reopening of stores and some stores obviously the grocery stores stayed open the whole time we were able to really uh, I tell people how much we were able to work with the governor's team to to really influence and, and have input into what would make these stores safer for the community and for the workers. And um, I was really impressed with the amount of input we had. Uh, I found that uh, Commissioner Lehman was working on the guidelines for safe store reopenings. He spent hours talking with us about, you know, he would take my call and, and, and answer texts and, you know, really respond about what can we do, for instance, how do we make grocery stores safe? So those one-way aisles, you know, that was part of a brainstorming that we did with him, uh, making sure the carts were sanitized. So all of these measures, I think now this summer, um, people really have come to appreciate how effective we were in stopping the spread of, of COVID-19. Having said that, a lot of people, a lot of people in my community uh, have suffered. Uh, many have lost loved ones and uh, many themselves have had the, the virus. And so what I think happened, may have happened a little bit is that we got a little comfortable with the warm weather. Mm. And because we were outside so much, we started feeling like, well, maybe we're okay now. And as a result, uh, unfortunately, there's been a little spike in Danbury. Uh, it's not good. It's something we need to get under control. The mayor and the governor, everyone had acted quickly. Uh, we had to delay the opening of our schools. Um, and that, that decision was made you know, very last minute to just make sure that we weren't in a position where we would really see a big blossoming of uh, a big you know, spread of disease. We are now sort of maintaining a plateau, but the plateau is higher than the rest of the state and even surrounding towns. And so we need to get that down. And I was just at a flag raising for the Brazilian community this morning. And the theme was wear your masks and, um, and how important it is to wash your hands. And so we're taking active measures to make sure that we get those numbers down in the Danbury area. Uh, we had a small a trend in the wrong direction in New Fairfield as well last week. And so we're keeping a close eye on it. Um, but we are uh, very you know, cognizant of that and doing everything we can to encourage people. When I wear a mask, I tell people it's to keep you safe from me. You know, I'm out in the public. I have to be. That's my responsibility to be at many, many things that require the state senator's participation. So I do that. And I wear the mask not because I'm afraid of getting sick as much as I'm afraid of getting someone else sick. And I think if you think about mask wearing in that regard, you're really doing a community service when you wear your mask because you're protecting others. Uh, as if the pandemic weren't bad enough in early August, a storm rolled through. 
don't have to tell anyone listening, a storm rolled through and the response uh, of our utility companies was not adequate. Is that polite? I think I was polite there. I was trying that to- That was too polite. Okay. It was, you it less was polite. horrible. It was horrible. I mean, so many people in Western part of Connecticut, particularly Danbury, New Fairfield, Sherman, Bethel, we were hit so hard. Uh, at one point, 90% of Bethel was without power. Uh, I, I'm sorry, 90% of Sherman was without power. Bethel was the last town in the state of Connecticut to get it fully restored. Um, there were just so many horror stories. And so that's why I'm really proud of my colleagues uh, on the Energy and Technology Committee. They began work immediately on a bill that's called Take Back Our Grid. And it really goes to the heart of what people in Connecticut want. We want a utility company that works for us, not just for the shareholders. And so it's, it, it's the kind of bill that will address things like restoration uh, timelines and, and restitution to, to ratepayers, to customers, if we don't get our power restored within a certain period of time. Um, compensation for the spoilage of food and of medicines when that deadline isn't met. You know, it's particularly hard in this part of the state when you have a neighboring state, you know, minutes from where you live that is paying people, Con Ed paid people when they lost food and medicine. We didn't get anything from Eversource. So these are the kinds of things that are in this bill. Um, I think it was a, a perfect storm in the sense that not only was it a, a, a horrendous wind, but it also came weeks after a huge rate increase. And so we were paying more, and then we didn't get a good response from the utility company. We need to have things like mandatory staffing levels. So there are crews on ground ready to go when something like this happens. There needs to be local and regional service centers where people have authority to make decisions on making safe our so these make safe conditions are really important. They don't get they don't get the kind of publicity. You know, when you make a road safe, it's not the same kind of publicity you get when you turn power on to you know two thousand people. Um, but they're just as important. And so, you know, really the power company uh, Eversource made some very bad decisions, and we need to act quickly. Um, to, to really respect the desires and the wishes of the ratepayers of our community to have a responsible and uh, high quality utility company. We're looking forward to a special session where that bill may be on the agenda. We'll see in the coming weeks. Um, and then, uh, you know, in, in what is the, by the time this comes out, we'll be down to about 43 days before the election. Um, and if you are reelected a senator, what are you looking forward to in the next term? Well, I think that, you know, some, you know, certainly uh, looking at our energy costs and how we have, uh, you know, a better grid, uh, it's not just something we're going to deal with in the special session. I think it's something that we also have to look at very closely next uh, in, in the next session. Uh, so certainly issues around energy. Uh, I, I am very uh, grateful to be serving as the chair of the Labor Committee. There are a lot of bills that we had teed up for 2020 that we weren't able to take uh, to get done, and so we look forward to those as well. But making sure that there are jobs, that there's training, that we recover from this economy, from this that our economy recovers from this pandemic, and makes this still a great place to live and raise our families. And you know, I'm thankful that we had the rainy day fund. Uh, it was, I think, when people were worried about 
where we were economically, uh, we are in one of the, we are best positioned um, to come out of this strong because we had a rainy day fund that was very robust, over $3 billion. And so now we need to make sure that we, as a state, uh, invest those dollars carefully to ensure that there are jobs and that we have a full economic recovery. So a lot of what we're going to be, the pressure is going to be on us to make sure that we're working toward that goal, making sure that working families um, not only have jobs, but have health care. Uh, if anything, the pandemic really brought into sharp focus the importance of having health care and the fact that health care for so many people is tied to their jobs. And so when you lose your jobs in an economy like ours, you need to have a backup plan for health care. And that's something I feel like the state can really work on and that we can make things better um, and, and more accessible, more affordable uh, by looking at, you know, why shouldn't every resident of Connecticut have an opportunity to be covered by a health plan like every legislator gets? You know, you don't want to elect people to go to Hartford and you see them getting good health care and you have nothing. So, you know, it, it makes sense that, you know, I appreciate everything we have, everything I've had in my life, but we need to make sure that those benefits are available for the whole community. Um, you said, uh, you know, the goal is to make it a great place to live and raise a family. I'm sure that's how you feel about Danbury. But recently on HBO, there was a host of a late night show, John Oliver, who had some mean things to say about Danbury and kind of out of nowhere. Look, I like the guy. I, I watch the show most weeks. I was a little taken aback. What, were, what, what was your reaction? Do you have anything you want to say? I don't, you know, know, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll send it to him. I don't know uh, where it was coming from, um, but I, I, I did get your attention. Uh, I guess the thing I would say to John Oliver is we have a wonderful community here in Danbury, and there are many things that we could do better. Uh, there are many, we're very aspirational. We need to fully fund our schools. We need to make sure that um, everybody has a good quality of life in Danbury. And you know, we're, we're struggling as a community. You know, more than 50% of our residents uh, fell into that United Way Alice test that says they're struggling families here. So, you know, on the one hand, it's kind of fun to see John Oliver spar with the mayor of Danbury. But to me, that really, it almost detracts from the serious issues that we face as a community. There's so much we can do to make our community strong. And I believe there are a lot of people committed to that. And what I would say to John Oliver is, you know, we have a diverse community. We have a very caring community. Uh, and it goes beyond uh, a sparring between about, you know, a, a water treatment plant. You know, really it is, uh, I would hope that he would see um, all the strengths of our community and and help us help us to achieve more uh, help and support the the immigrants in our community and all of the wonderful people that are trying to make this a better place to live. Senator Julie Kushner, thank you for joining us here on the podcast today and uh, we'll see you next time we're up in Danbury. Thanks for inviting me. We now return to the second half of Michael Cerulli's interview with Middletown Mayor Ben Florsheim. You won the mayoral race. Um, you've been in office. I'm sure on the list of things that you wanted to do as mayor, you had a lot of progressive goals, and we can talk about those later. One of the things that was probably not on your list as mayor would be to steer your city through a pandemic. How has that been? Where are you? Where's the current state of play? 
um, and maybe talk a bit about, you know, I think you you have a unique position of both being sort of a small city mayor and also it's basically a college town. Um, how has that been dealing with this crisis? Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no manual for this job. Uh, the only thing that they tell you uh, when you when you take over is to expect the unexpected, right? And uh, and that was really true uh, as we as we mm-hmm. came to as we came to learn. And we had it's interesting because one of our we Middletown and Westland had one of the first uh, like COVID nineteen scares of anywhere in the country um, back before there were really any confirmed cases in the United States. This was in January of this year, I think, uh, when a, a Westland student who had been traveling in Asia was coming back to school and, and suddenly realized that they had uh, flu-like symptoms. Right, um, right. And so that person was on uh, quarantine uh, while the CDC actually had people come up here from uh, either Washington or Atlanta or wherever the, wherever the local lab is, I think in Philadelphia maybe, um, to, do, to do tests. And uh, that case, um, came back, you know, came back negative. Um, it was, it turned out he just had the flu, um, but it got a ton of attention. There was, there was a statewide media coming to Middletown to cover this potential one case. Um, and, you know, I was just, I, I, one of the things I was thinking to myself is feel, just feeling bad for this poor kid um, who uh, had to deal with having the flu and also had to deal with, you know, mm-hmm. this just panic that was setting in. Right. Um, and everybody, been. everybody, in t- not everybody in town, but, you know, there were a lot of people who were, um, were really, really worried about what that meant. Um, and then, of course, it, it, it came to nothing in that instance. Um, and little did we know that a few months later would it, that it would turn into what it, what, it, what it turned into. But that first experience um, was a, a helpful one <laughs> and an instructive one. Uh, and I talked with, I talked with Dan, with uh, Mayor Drew, my predecessor, a little bit about it. And, and one thing that he told me going into the job was, you know, a big part of your role is is communication um, mm-hmm. and sort of reassurance. You know, you have you're, there's you've got a, a big team of people with subject matter expertise who are going to be helping you, whether it's a it's a storm emergency you're dealing with, whether it's a fire emergency you're dealing with, uh, you know, whether it's a public health emergency. You have people who um, who you should trust. Uh, you should put people in those positions who you do trust and let them do their job. And and your role in in a crisis is is kind of that of a communicator and uh and and i was thinking about that um with that wesleyan student case that turned out not to be the case and once we started in earnest realizing that this was going to be a significant issue in our city and in our state um, my first instinct was We've got a this. There's a lot of moving pieces here. There's a lot of different organizations and stakeholders who are going to be involved in responding to this. Um, you know, obviously the healthcare providers, but also the business community who's going to be impacted. Mm-hmm. Also the schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and historically in a lot of cities and towns, uh, Middletown included, there's been kind of a weird uh, uh, tension between city government and you know, the school board governance because there's always a competition over resources. We've tried to avoid that. We've tried to approach everything in partnership and and uh, this included. Um, you know, Wesleyan is obviously going to be a part of that, along with Middlesex Community College. Uh, you know, the, 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 the library, the, the local service providers, all of these groups are going, to, are going to be impacted by this. And all of these groups need to be involved in the response. So I said, I think day one, we need to start, uh, we need to start talking. You know, we need to 
uh, create a, a coordinated way for all of our agencies in the city and mm. all of our other community stakeholders to know what the other is doing, um, to know what's going on. And so we started um, a meeting on a daily basis at first with you know about uh, 40 or 50 different people, um, elected officials and members, uh, representatives from all the groups that I just mentioned, um, coordinating and strategizing about what a, a unified response in Middletown would look like. Um, and, I, and I think that that has really paid off over time. I think mm -hmm. that it has paid dividends and we, we, don't, we don't have that meeting weekly, any, or excuse me, we don't, we, don't, we don't have it daily anymore. We now have it weekly. Um, but we have also developed things like, um, we, we have sort of a public facing version of that that we do every Tuesday evening. Um, in partnership with uh, the community health center and our and our city council, where we you know we just spend an hour answering questions and talking about different uh, subjects and updates on what has happened with the COVID response in town over the past week. So everybody is getting constant updates that are factual, um, as opposed to sort of the social media rumor mongering that that, that mm -hmm. is always going to fill that vacuum if yeah, you are not yeah. filling it with real information. Um, and I think that that has lent itself to a pretty successful response. You know, we've been seeing in the state, the numbers moving in a, in a eyebrow raising direction. You know, we still have very low positivity rates compared to pretty much everywhere else in the country, but they uh, are consistently going up over the past two weeks or so. And um, we, have, we have largely elided that in Middletown and in Middlesex County. Um, but we're keeping a really close eye on those numbers. Um, and, and I think that we are prepared for if that if it does get out of control you know wesleyan everybody was very nervous about wesleyan coming back because you've yeah, got yeah. people coming back from all 50 states uh and and places all over the globe um and and we made that pretty clear wesleyan that we were that we were you know that we were nervous and that you know they said our our intention is to come back in person and our intention is to put a plan in place to make that possible um and they put in a really good plan uh, with really robust testing for everybody who comes on campus and testing every two weeks. Um, they have made students sign an agreement to basically be good neighbors. And the students themselves have reached I, I had a meeting with the student government at Wesleyan before I actually met with the, with the president about their plans um, because they reached out to us and they said, look, we want to be, we don't want to screw everything up for you guys. Uh, we want to be good neighbors. And, um, and so on the day before they returned to school, I was thinking to myself, you know, this might go totally sideways, but if anybody is going to pull this off, if any college is going to pull this off, it's going to be mm. Middletown and, and Wesleyan uh, based on all the work that we put into this. Um, and, uh, and so far so good. They have been testing uh, on a large scale. There have been a handful of positive cases, but it's like a fraction of a percent of uh, people who have been on campus. And um, compared to, you know, I'm, I'm, I, uh, compared to what we're seeing in a lot of places around the state and around the country, you can speak to that uh, over <laughs> in, over in stores. Um, but, uh, but I think, you know, our, our, our approach has been to communicate and to collaborate as much as possible. And I think that that has been, has been paying off pretty well. Yeah, I think, I think that the collaborative approach to it, you know, we, we've been pretty good here at stores. Um, there have been some few incidences. I think it's just the larger student bodies. You're, you're going to get right. a, you know, a proportional increase in the number of knuckleheads. So, um, but I think, I think one of the things I saw you doing pretty early on in that meeting would be a part of it is there was sort of in the country 
after I think it was like University of Alabama or something, there was a really crazy story about them holding COVID parties or something like that. Yeah. And and people started this conceit of like, oh, well, the young people, they're not going to know what to do. They're not responsible. And it seems like you've taken an approach. Maybe that's because you're on the younger side as well of like caution, but also respect and mutual understanding and, you know, saying, look, we're in this together. It's not us versus you. And I thought that I just want to commend you on that. That was a really good approach to take compared to what I've seen from um, not necessarily here in Connecticut, but around the country of people who are just saying, look, the young people are going to ruin it for us. Um, I thought you, you gave a very balanced approach to how you address the Wesleyan community. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. And I think that we, you know, we didn't want to, we didn't want to demonize Westland. We didn't want to, uh, to also, we didn't want to say that we're not worried about it either. Um, I think that, mm-hmm. the, right. I mean, I think just as you said, um, from the beginning, we have talked about this as a universal issue that affects everybody and that everybody has a responsibility um, and a stake in, in trying to deal with. And I think that what we what 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 I've said from early on is the and the tragedy of this disease and of this circumstance in our country right now is that we are really only we are only all of us are only as safe as the least responsible among us. Um, mm-hmm. Whether that's a young person, whether it's not, whether that is you know a, a, a college or whether it's a, a bar, you know that it's that's breaking the rules. Um, and 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 that's a challenging dynamic uh, because. Mm-hmm. There is, uh, as we're seeing around the country, there's a lot of people who who um, who would who would rather um, get their whole family sick than they would uh, than they would wear a mask when they when they go outside. And uh, we don't have that in, in Connecticut. And I think that's because we have done a decent job from the beginning making that the message that we're all in this mm-hmm. together that, and that all of us have a role uh, that all of us have a role to play. And and if, once we if we're all playing the role. Uh, that we need to play, then it's not going to be that much of a burden on any one of us individually. Um, but all of us have a responsibility to um, to, to do what we can to, to keep this under control. Yeah, couldn't have said it any better myself. Um, so let's talk about now, we talked about, you mentioned this before, about being a progressive mayor. I think sometimes there's a assumption, maybe rightly or wrongly, that if you're a chief executive, whether it be of a town, a city, a state, you have to have some sort of moderate tendencies in terms of, you know, the filling in the potholes and working with, with everyone in the city. Um, but you've come in with a mindset of you're going to be a progressive mayor and Middletown's going to be a progressive city. What does that look like, um, like operationally? And what are some of the goals that you have for Middletown uh, moving forward, you know, post COVID and, and beyond? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think, and I think that it's definitely true that, uh, you know, in, a, in any executive role, um, and, and certainly at the municipal level, um, you, you don't get to, you know, work as much on the sort of black and white take side, take one side or the other uh, issues. And, you know, I certainly have uh, strong feelings about uh, some of the national issues that are currently under under discussion, and you know, have have made those made those pretty well known. I think uh, you know, just as my as my personal views and mm-hmm. of who I've supported for you know uh, elections at the national level. Um, but you don't write. I mean, this is this is not a job where um, you you get to take um, the bold stands every single day. Um, because when you take them, you have to, you have to actually taking, taking a bold stand means, means following through, um, at mm-hmm. the, at the local level and at the, and at the executive level. So, um, so that was a, that was a dynamic that I knew was going to be, 
kind of an interesting uh, needle to thread from from the beginning. Um, but I also think that there is there is a way. You know, I was asked by somebody um, who was kind of trying to discourage me from running um, before the before I decided to to get in the race. Um, well, what's the progressive way to fill a pothole? You know, there's no progressive way to fill a pothole. And mm -hmm. I was, and I spent a, a few days like thinking about that. Um, and and what I kind of came back with was, I, I don't really agree. I think that there is a progressive way to fill a pothole. I think that there's uh, the progressive way to fill a pothole is um, is by giving by empowering people um, at the at, to at the local level where you know where they are. Um, to feel like they can communicate with their city government and be heard by their city government, no matter what street they live on, no matter where they live. Um, it's, it's not forcing people um, to have to call, you know, somebody who they know in the public works department um, to, you know, call in a favor to get work done on their street. It's creating a, a platform, which is what we're, we're working on doing um, to give people a digital option, to give people a, 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 a option um, to, to, to reach out by phone, uh, to make sure that people uh, have easy access to city government. And, and mm -hmm. no matter where they live, they can get a response from city government to what's going on in their, in their neighborhood. Um, and so we're working on implementing a platform um, called C-ClickFix, which a lot of others, it's a company that's based in Connecticut and a lot of other towns in Connecticut have. We're probably about a month or so away from launching that um, just so that people don't have to feel like you know, they have to come down to City Hall um, or they have to know somebody in City Hall in order to ask for what they're entitled to from their from their from their government. I think that, you know, it 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 also comes down to what, you know, different neighborhoods, you know, with Middletown is sort of a microcosm of a microcosm in that we are uh, a small diversity that is really, I think, demographically representative of our region as a whole and of the country mm -hmm. as, as a whole, which means that we have, um, we have a lot of the challenges of the country as a whole. We have, we have, we have segregated schools, we have segregated neighborhoods, we have um, areas where, where there's not a lot of economic opportunity and we have areas where people are doing very well. Um, and that, those, those factors should not be a factor in whether you're able to get public services delivered efficiently and reliably and affordably to to you, um, and and so uh, it's 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 those types of things um, where I think we're trying to um, take a, a set of values, uh, you know, a set of values that says uh, everybody is deserving of uh, equal opportunity. Everybody um, deserves dignity and and respect, including from mm -hmm. um, their their local government, and uh, and trying to operationalize it with in. in you know, even even on small things like you know, quote unquote, small things like road maintenance and you know, right. uh, and and lighting and and uh, access to parks and green spaces and, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, so that's you know one example. Um, you know, uh, other other things that we're focusing on are trying to, uh, as I alluded to earlier, uh, build a, a a positive relationship between city government and our school system so that we can pursue things jointly. Um, like universal early uh, early childcare and universal pre-kindergarten. Um, that's that's something. That's a that's a goal that uh, the superintendent and I have set. Um, not not because we you know think it's going to be easy and and it's going to take a lot of effort on both of our parts to uh, to make that happen. You know, in the next mm -hmm. few years. Um, but 
we both care about that deeply. And, um, and, and he cares about it as an educator. You know, I care about it as somebody who, you know, is, is passionate about uh, economic and social justice as, as, he, as he does uh, as well. And it's an, it's an opportunity for us to um, take an idea that is talked about by progressives at the, at the national level and is, and is seen as, uh, I think, a new frontier of, of progressive policymaking and, and try to make Middletown a leader on it. And uh, that's, that's an exciting thing. And that's what, again, sort of what I was talking about earlier. That's what's cool about local government is you're able to um, really work through these issues and, and see results uh, in, your own, in your own community. Love that. That's that's outstanding. And it's sort of a good note to begin to draw this conversation to a close on. Before we go, I saw on Twitter you were talking about some old stories when you're on Team Murphy. I think the listeners would love to hear in the last few minutes. Just tell us tell us a funny story from uh, working for Senator Chris Murphy. And it may or may not be embarrassing to Sean Scanlon or not. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to we've got to get both of us on here with some of the other uh, with some of the other alumni at some point because we could we could just we could go on uh, for a long time. But the one that comes immediately to mind is the one that I uh, shared on on Twitter. You know, I got um, I, I got Chris's new book uh, that he just wrote and I recommend it to everybody. I'm I'm, I'm working my way mm-hmm. through it called The Violence Inside Us. And, you know, I remember um, I remember when he was writing that book. Uh, there were, I, he was he was still working on it when I was when I was working for him and uh, um, I I opened it up and I got a signed copy from our um, local uh, from the Wesleyan bookstore which is run by Arvid Julia and um, I got a signed copy and I opened it up and I saw his signature there and I was like thinking to myself you know I wonder if I could still um, I wonder if I could still sign his name because I uh, because I, we would we would practice that. Um, and, um, you know, he, he, cause, cause he signs, doc, you know, he signs documents with an auto pen, uh, sometimes, um, but mm. we would sort of practice it, uh, while we were, while we were covering the, covering the phones up front. And, uh, I, so I was like, I wonder, you know, this would be maybe a funny thing to text you about, you know, can you tell which one is yours? Um, but then I went to the back cover, then I went to the back cover flap and I saw his author photo and I realized, oh my God, I bought that shirt for, for him. Um, when we were doing a, a video ad shoot. So there was a, I was at his, I was at his house. We were shooting um, commercials for the 2018 campaign. And he had, um, he had all these uh, stripy polka dot, like patterned uh, mm-hmm. shirts that uh, camera people were like, none of these are going to work on camera. Um, you need like a dark solid shirt, which they really don't like make from anime anymore, apparently. Um, so I had to go on a wild goose chase from one store to the next in uh, the greater Waterbury area until I could find something that was camera appropriate uh, to get on camera. And what I, the, the, the only thing that I could find that worked happened to be a shirt that was on clearance at the Waterbury Coles for $3 um, that I uh, bought uh, two of in, in different sizes uh, and, and brought back. And so I had to uh, I had to share that story because I thought it was it was my most as I said in that tweet I think it was my most like deep moment as a as a staffer um, but uh, I that type of thing was um, was always like really interesting to me uh, and really you know, I wanted to know what uh, how things happened behind the scenes before I myself wound up uh, working mm. behind the scenes um, and uh, you know the 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 idea of a senator who you know, uh, who forgot to bring the right wardrobe to a video shoot was, was very funny to me and something that I now can relate to because I had my own video shoots and 
you know, right, right. you realize that like, oh yeah, 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 you're not, this is not the thing that you're spending all your time thinking about. Uh, mm-hmm. One of where the video shoot, you're trying to think about doing your job as best as you can. That's a great note to end it on. Uh, mayor Ben Florsheim is the mayor of Middletown, Connecticut. Uh, he's doing great work out there. Ben, thank you for joining us on Connecticut's the CT Democrats podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Dave, those were two great conversations. I always love to talk to Mayor Florsheim, and I really enjoyed listening to your conversation with Senator Kushner. Well, Mayor Florsheim is not on the ballot this year, but Senator Kushner is, and she can certainly use your help, as can every candidate all around the state. Go to ctdems.org slash volunteer, and you can sign up, tell us what you'd like to do, and we'll hook you up. Got it, Dave. So everyone head over to ctdems.org. And after this weekend, guys, I know we all took a really big blow. And now we know the stakes have never been higher. This election is going to be probably the most important of all of our lifetimes, certainly the most important one of mine, a short 19 year span here on Earth. So head over to the website, connect with your local candidates, and we'll see you all next week on Connecticut's, the CT Democrats podcast. I got to tell you, I'm a few years older than you, Michael. It's the most important one in my lifetime, too.